Well, as I mentioned earlier, today is the last message in our study of the book of Ezra. And this morning, we're going to do two things. We're going to review the book. I'll lead us in that. And then we're going to respond to the book of Ezra. And I'm going to ask you to lead us in that. I mentioned earlier that I'm going to give you an opportunity to share what God has been teaching you over the course of our study of the book of Ezra. And I'll give some instructions on how to do that. It it will be simple. In fact, the end of our time together, after I share, I'm going to have everybody grab their program. I'll I'll have everybody get a program. If you don't have one, we'll we'll get one to you. And I'm going to have you write down three statements, three statements about what God has been teaching you over the course of our study. And so as I share this morning, you might be thinking about what the Spirit of God has been doing in you over the last 11 weeks, or even what the Spirit of God might be doing in you in our time together this morning. And we're going to do that. We're going to share in that way because Um, What I hope for this morning is that we will not just walk away with a a sense of what God was doing in the lives of the people in Jerusalem some 2,500 years ago, but that we might walk away with a deeper sense of what God's doing in us as a community of faith, his faithfulness to us, his good hand upon us, all the ways that he is growing and changing us, restoring redeeming, rebuilding, and reforming our own hearts. And I think that we'll find in that, that as we share together that what was true of this sovereign work of God in the lives of this group of people some 2,500 years ago is still true today. God is still at work in the lives of his people. And he uses them to fulfill his promises and to accomplish his purposes. And so I I hope that as we leave here this morning, hearing from one another, that we will be encouraged, but we will also desire more of this great God that we just heard about. So I'll, I'll share, and I'm going to review this way. I'm going I'm to review just, just three, three lessons that I've learned about the, the character of God, one about the character of God, one about us, I'll share something about us, and then, and then one about the, the life of faith. And, and when I get done, I, I'm going to turn it to you and ask you guys to share along those same lines as well, Okay. Here's the first lesson. I think this book has a number of of lessons for us uh, this morning. And and I'll just say this before I go there. We need to remember this, that that when we turn to the book of Ezra, when we go to the book of Ezra, we, we are turning to one of the darkest periods in the history of Israel. Remember, God had made a promise to Abraham, promised Abraham that he would give him a son. And through his son, Abraham would become a a nation through his descendants. When we turn to Ezra, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, they don't exist anymore. They're not around. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been leveled. The people are in captivity in Jerusalem. The promise is gone. Enter Ezra and his impossibly faithful God. This this is a remarkable story about how God keeps his promises to his people. Even in the midst of world powers that dominate the region, even in the midst of opposition that, that restricts and hinders the work, even in the midst of the faithlessness of the people. And as I said, I think there's a lot for us to be learned here about the character of God, about us, and about this life of faith. And so I'm going to review it in that way 
here's the first thing that, that I'll share, one of the things that I've learned about the character of God. And I'll just say it this way. Because God is faithful, his promises are unshakable and his purposes are irrevocable. Because God is faithful, core to his character, his promises are unshakable and his purposes are irrevocable. They cannot be stopped. There are lots of pieces and parts and moving parts and people to this story, but for every twist and turn that we find in the book, there is one thing that remains true, and we find it on every single page of the book. It is the steadfast faithfulness of God. That never changes. This book is about the character of God, his sovereign hand at work because of who he is to accomplish his purposes and to fulfill his promises. And so so we see in the book, we see that, that God's sovereign and mighty hand is at work. His sovereign, silent, invisible is at uh, work. His sovereign work is at hand in, in the lives of three kings, three Persian kings. Three enemy kings where this group of exiles had just been in captivity. And these kings are, as I mentioned earlier, lavishly generous to this group of people. They go above and beyond. They provide for every single one of their needs for the temple and for their lives, for the sacrifices, for their homes. They're lavishly generous. Why are these kings generous? Well, it's because God stirred their heart and it's because God is faithful to his people sovereign, invisible hand of God at work in the lives of three kings. And then we see the sovereign, invisible hand of God at work in the lives of two prophets. Remember this? Haggai and Zechariah, who speak the word of the Lord to the people of Israel when the work on the temple was just a foundation. The work on the temple had laid dormant for 16 years. And when they speak the word of the Lord to the people of God, the, the people resume the work. They go back to work. Why? Because the word of God never fails. And he is always faithful to his people. So three kings, two prophets, and then we see the sovereign, invisible hand of God at work in the life of one priest. Ezra is his name. And Ezra attributes everything that happens in the last four chapters of the book to the good hand of his God. No less than five times in chapter seven and eight alone that he attributes something to the good hand of God. God protected the people on the journey back to Jerusalem because his good hand was upon us. God provided us Levites at the river and temple servants that we needed for the temple when we got back because his good hand was upon us. God kept us safe. God favored us in the, life, in the eyes of the king. He, he was favorably disposed to all who seek him. Remember that phrase, because God is faithful to his people. Now, here's where we get into a bit of trouble on this. We tend to connect God's faithfulness, the faithfulness of God, not to his character, but to our circumstances. That's what we do. We tend to connect the faithfulness of God, not to God's character, but to our current circumstances. This is what I mean. When something good happens in my life, I often attribute that to the faithfulness of God. I do. 
when something bad happens in my life, I wonder if God's faithful. I think many of us do. So depending on what, go, what is going on in my life right now is the degree to which God is either faithful or he is not. I could say it this way. We give far too much power to our current circumstances and their influence over our lives and far too little power to the eternal, unchangeable, immutable character of God. Far too little power to that. Do you notice over the past 11 weeks that there's lots of bad stuff that happens in the book? Do you notice this? 70 years in captivity, that's bad. It's not good. Oppression, opposition from their enemy, constant as they do the rebuilding work of the temple, not good. Ezra shows up at the river with the whole group ready to go, second wave of people going back to Jerusalem. No Levites, no temple servants. They wait there 12 days. Some of their circumstances stunk. But did any of that deter God from being faithful to his promise? Did any of that do that? Hardly. God is faithful in and through every circumstance of our lives. He's always faithful. Why? Because his character never changes. Something about God that I learned. Here's the second. Number two is something that I've learned about us. I'm going to borrow a phrase from an old hymn. We are prone to wander. We just are. We're prone to wander. We see it over and over in the book. We see it over and over if we're honest in our own lives. In the book, when the exiles start the rebuilding of the temple, some of the enemies show up, begin to oppose the work. They start poking around. And and what does this group of exiles do? Quit working. They quit and they go home for 16 years. Now, I'm not saying that I blame them. It wasn't easy work. And it wasn't a safe feeling situation. But it does strike me that the God who had just delivered them from captivity in Babylon for 70 years, the God who had just protected them on their journey back to Jerusalem, and the God who had generously provided for them from those Persian kings, I think he probably could have handled a few officials who crossed the river to make the work difficult, don't you? Not us. We're prone to wander. Now, later in the book, of course, at the end, we have this very visible description of this truth in our own lives. And in theirs, they, they engage the work of the temple. The work of the temple gets completed. And when the temple gets finished, this first group of exiles is worshiping God like they never have before. Then Ezra leads a second wave of exiles back to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, They are already worshiping other gods. They've intermarried with the people across the river who worship idols. They've intermarried with the people who were trying to hinder the work of God and the worship of God when the book began. They've done the exact same thing that their fathers and their grandfathers did. They did the exact same thing that landed them in captivity in Babylon the first time. They were miserable in Babylon. They were rejoicing in Jerusalem. Now they're begging for Babylon again. Why? Because we're prone to wonder. That's why. I am. You are. I have sin in my life. I I sin in old ways. I sin in new ways. The older I get, the longer I walk with God, the more aware of my proneness to sin I get. Is that 
true for you. It's true for me. It's one of the reasons that I love all the lists of names in this book. Notice this, but in three different chapters, in 10 total chapters, there's no other book like this. There are lists of these people, first wave of people that goes back, chapter two, second wave of people that goes back, chapter eight. Chapter 10, you know what that's a list of? People who sin the worst. How about being known for that for the rest of human history? It's the people who sin the worst in this season. Might as well just go ahead and add our names to that list. We fit there. Here's why I love these lists. These people who are prone to wander, guess what? They're the same people that God uses to redeem history. What? They're the same people that God uses to fulfill redemptive history. They actually don't get what they deserve. What do they get? They get forgiveness instead. The consequences to their actions, of course there are. There always are for us. But they also get for forgiveness. Their their sin is forgiven. And not only that, they become a nation again. And not only that, they get to fulfill God's purpose for them and through them from the beginning of time. And that is that the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, might come through their nation. I I don't know if you know this or not, but Ezra and Nehemiah, those books go together. The last narrative account that we have in the Old Testament. Last one. Old Testament writers go silent for 400 years. But God doesn't stop working. He's still forming this nation. You know what the next words we have in our Bible? What they are? The birth of Jesus Christ. He fulfills his promise to the end through a group of people who keep sinning in the same way over and over and over again. I don't know about you, that gives me hope. Doesn't it? Same thing that is true about them is true about us. God uses this group of people in this room who are prone to wonder. He forgives them and he uses them to continue his redemptive plan until he sends his son again. That's, that's powerful. It kind of makes your head spin, but it's incredible. Here's number three, something I've learned about the life of faith. Just say it this way. Christians aren't made to blend in. Christians are not made to blend in. We are distinct. We are to be distinct. Set apart from the world around us. I'll give you two examples from the book. In Ezra chapter 4, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, they are beginning the work on the temple. They are the leaders of that temple rebuild. And there are some people from the lands that gather and they offer to help with the work. And of course, they say no to them to help with the work. That was shrewd. They, they didn't have uh, the best interest at heart. That was wise. But this is the reason that they give in the scripture in chapter four, verse three, for why they say no to these people who offer to help. And this is what it says. It's because you have nothing in common with us. Nothing in common with us in the building of the house to our God. See, you don't worship the same God that we do. And we are set apart for the worship of that God. And unless you can align yourself to who that God is and submit to his authority in your life, then we cannot do the work of God together. We are distinct. We are different. Here's another example. It's found in Ezra chapter 8. Ezra chapter 8. Um, Ezra has identified 12 priests, 12 Levites that he's asked to steward or to be accountable for the silver and the gold and the temple utensils that were given by the king for the journey and for delivery to the temple in 
Jerusalem. And so they're standing there on the bank of the river. They're getting ready to make this trip. And, and Ezra identifies these 12 leaders and he asks them to take care of these goods in transport. And, and this is what he says to them in chapter 8, verse 28. He says, this is his reasoning. You are holy and the utensils you are carrying for the temple, they are holy. He appeals to the holiness of God to motivate these men to be faithful. Why? Because we are to be holy as God is holy. God is set apart. He is distinct. He is like no other. And, and we are to be holy as he is holy. And the more we look like him, the less we'll look like the world around us. The more we will stand out. In fact, we could say it this way, with an ever-increasing pressure to bend to the culture, to blend in with the culture, to give in to the culture, the more we follow Jesus Christ, the more we are conformed into his image, the more and more we will, in fact, stand out as distinct. If you want to blend in with the culture, hear me on this, don't follow Jesus Christ. Don't do it. It's impossible to do both. You know, it's easy to think that if the church keeps enough distance from the world that we will maintain our distinctness. If we keep enough distance, the church keeps enough distance from the world, then, then we will maintain our separateness. What I would suggest to you this morning is that as the world has grown further and further away from God over the course of the last several decades, I would just simply suggest that I believe that the church in general has gone with it. We've kept our distance from the world, but we've begun to lose our distinctness. We've, be we've begun to become irrelevant in ways. It's thinking that our distance between us and the world is what keeps us distinct, but it's actually just headed in the very same direction with just some degree of separation. What I believe that the Lord calls us to in the scripture is not just simply distance, but distinctness actually is the measure of our holiness. It's not the measure of the difference between us and the world. It's the measure of our holiness unto God. And so as the world moves further and further away from God, our distinctness actually gains ground. It actually moves us closer and closer to God. We are conformed more and more into the image of God and the gap gets wider and wider because of who we are in Jesus Christ. Now this is ironic, but it is actually that distinctness that is the hope for the people that are headed the other direction. That's freedom for them. There is another way. There is a love that can be found beyond this. There is forgiveness and all that becomes distinct, faithful obedience to God in time. It's the reason that we are set apart. And so when we think about our lives, then our repentance, you know what it is? It's countercultural. How many people in your world that don't know Christ do you see repenting often? Not many. Our repentance is counterculture. Our, our obedience, you know what? It's going to look radical to some, just like it did for them in chapter 10. Our obedience will look radical. Our, our worship, our worship's going to be misunderstood. We will be in the world, but we will not be of the world, and we will glorify God in our distinctness. 
Now, I said at the beginning of the service that I was going to give several of you the opportunity to share, and and I want to do that now, and here's how I want to do that. I want everyone to take out your program. If you'll take out your program and flip over to the back side of it, there are some message notes. If you don't have a program, just slip up your hand. We've got some ushers that have programs. We'll get one to you. I want everybody to do this. Not everybody's going to have to share. Nobody's going to get put on the spot, but I do want everyone to do this so that you have some takeaway from our book of Ezra this morning. And on the back of that program, you can borrow a pen from somebody, or I think some of these ushers might have pens as well. If you can't get to a pen, you can grab your phone and, and type it out on there, or, or you can just think about it. This is not hard, but, but I want everybody to do this. Here are the three statements that I want you to write on the back of your program, okay? Here they are. You ready? I've learned that God is, and you'll fill in that statement. It's the first one. I've learned that God is. Second statement. I am, you'll fill in that statement. And faith requires, fill in that statement. That's the third. I've learned that God is, I am, and faith requires. And what I want to do, in just the same way that I just shared with you, is give you an opportunity just to reflect for a minute. You can flip back over the pages of Ezra if you'd like to do that. You can think about a message that stood out to you or something that the Spirit of God did in your life as you listened or you did some study on your own. And, and I just want you to answer those questions for you as best you can. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the one thing. You might list several things about God. You might not get to one of the statements. This is just a guide for you to help you take some things away from our study together of the book of Ezra. And then I'm just going to have several of you in just a couple minutes just stand up and read your program. That's how we'll share this morning together. So take just a minute and do that. Now when you share in just a minute, um, you can just read those statements just like I, I will in just a minute. I'll share mine. Or if you want to pull off one of those statements and share it in a little bit different form, that's, that's totally fine too. I just ask you to share your name with us and be brief and stay on the book of Ezra, something that God's taught you from the book of Ezra. And I do want to say this. Just remind us of why we're doing this. We have the opportunity to hear not just from one person, but from the collective whole of the body, what God's doing in our midst. It gives us hope in a different way. It encourages us in a different way. It does something that Michael Lloyd and I can't do just in and of ourselves standing up here. So that's why we do it. We need to hear from one another and be encouraged by it. This is mine, and then I'll give some of you the opportunity to grab a mic and share yours. Mine says, I've learned that God is faithful in every circumstance. I am prone to wander, and faith requires that I live distinct from the world around me. It's what I just shared. That's mine. Somebody jump up. I want a bunch of you to do this so that we can hear from one another. We've got mics right back here and then another one right over here and one right here. Yeah, right there. I'm Annette, and I learned that God is faithful no matter what journey you're in. And I am walking this journey with the woman in this fellowship. I don't know them, but they constantly call me and make sure that I'm okay. Mm. And faith requires to believe and have faith in this community of my church. And I'm new in this place, but fellowship has been my fellowship. 
Mm, so glad. My name is Saran, and I have been blessed by this series. Uh, I've learned that God is consistent. Um, over and over and over, we see uh, the consistency of God mm -hmm. uh, throughout this book. Um, I am not consistent. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, and faith requires, I believe, knowledge and revelation. Thank you, Saran. It does. Right here. I'm Gigi McMurray, and when I walked in, I was so relieved because I didn't feel like I needed to share today. And then you started talking, and now like, no. my heart's racing. But I wanted to just give testimony to brokenness, and that Ezra had a perspective to look out and a lot of devastation, and to see the good hand of God. So I wrote, I've learned that God is sovereign. He does as he pleases. Mm. And I'm prideful because I think my plan is better. Mm -hmm. And faith requires trust. It does. Thanks for leading with your weakness, Gigi. We share it. Sid Smith, um, I memorized Ezra 7:10 40 years ago. Oh wow! Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in all of Israel. <laughs> I have learned that the Word of God, as the pastors have been doing for the last two or three years, forever. Uh, that without an understanding of this, we have no understanding. Mm -hmm. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than the two-edged sword. Yes, it is. And I want to encourage us to take the time to read daily. I encourage a men's group that we meet on Saturday morning. Just take 10 minutes a day and pray for 10 minutes a day. And we can change our community. Yeah, we can. And I, I would like to challenge our church. You've got to know, to have understanding, you've got to go to the book of understanding and to know the meaning and the person of the book. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel very humbled by our leadership. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for lifting the word of God high. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for that exhortation. It's a good one. Right here. My name is Jorge. Uh, people know me by Tito I'm here <laughs> with, the, uh, with the musicians. Um, what I'm going to read is more of a statement for myself. Um, and, from, and for what we've learned throughout this series. Great. I've learned that God is faithful to do what he said he would do. 
not just in the Bible, but in time. I am an Ezra 7.10 man. I am set apart. I am his man. Faith requires that I not be a bystander in the culture I live in. Great one. Got somebody? Yeah, great. My name is Ed, and uh, I guess for me what I may have learned in Ezra echoes what Bill said, and that is that, and it echoes what's in the, in the New Testament, and that is in Romans 3, where it says there, there, there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you look at the people in Ezra and you look at us, we're the same, like you said, and we're just justified freely by his grace. And the older I get as a Christian, that is the truth that probably resonates most mm-hmm. in my own heart, is that there's no difference. Yeah. <laughs> we have all sinned, and we fall short. We're justified freely by this grace that came later, yeah. you know, but that we know now. That's exactly right. <laughs> Great word. Maybe two or three more. Over here? Great. My name's Paula. I've learned that God is faithful, steadfast, and stubborn. I'm in need of God. And faith requires me to fully trust God no matter what and keep my eyes on Him. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Lindsay, you guys can come make, make your way up. We'll do a couple more. My name is Kirsten, and I have learned that God is gracious and unwavering in his faithfulness. Mm. Um, I am a cyclical wanderer, and mm. my call is to study, to live, and to teach his commandments. Um, and that I can't just teach if I don't know what I'm teaching, mm-hmm. I have to study it first, live it out first, and then to teach it. Yeah. And then faith requires hopeful obedience, mm-hmm. that no matter what, I'm called to obey, and I have hope in that obedience. That will preach right there, girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. One or two more? Somebody want to go? Hi, my name is Ashley. I've learned that God is faithful and his promises are unshakable, that I am prone to wander, and that faith requires a connection to God's character and not a connection to our circumstances. Mm -hmm. Sure does. You know, when we come to the book of Ezra, we find that the book, the return of these two waves of people to Jerusalem, it's, it's all about the worship of the one true God. Remember this? Worship is the priority. So Zerubbabel leads a group back and they build an altar. They worship around the altar. Then they rebuild the temple foundation. They worship there standing on the temple foundation. Then Ezra leads a group back. 
They repent together. He doesn't know what he's walking into. They confess and they repent, which is worship. And, and as I listen to what you have just shared about the faithfulness of God, about the truth of our own lives, about this life of faith, I, I can't help but think that there is not a better end to our series than to lift our voices as they did. Not in the temple. This is not as meaningful. This building's not as meaningful today as it was then, but that the temple of our hearts, the posture of the heart of the Christian where the Holy Spirit resides would turn to worship of our one true God. You see, the work of God, according to the word of God, always leads to the worship of God. So would you stand with me as we lift our voices and sing of the great character that is our great God?